a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. In this episode, I'm joined by a lady that's been on one or two previous episodes, um, Kelly Branley. Kelly's a dating and relationship coach and executive matchmaker, you may recall, and she speaks to us today from Switzerland. Kelly, very warm welcome to you as ever. Hello, Paul. So great to be here with you again. And um, one of the things, listeners, that uh, Kelly and I said we'd talk about, because um, we thought it was a really relevant, um, well, just in general, but particularly in these times of of stress, uh, undue stress and trouble with corona and you know everything that, that brings, but the 10 disciplines of love. So, Kelly, take his away. Thanks, Paul. Well... The 10 disciplines of love are actually a concept that I learned originally from Tony Robbins. And um, I'm sure you've probably come across them as well in the work that you've done. And I've sort of adapted them over my time, um, bringing in some other kinds of concepts from another uh, coach that I, a coach and psychologist, um, his name's Stan Tatton. And I have sort of adapted that. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through them in detail and uh, i think over the next 10 episodes we're going to dig into each one of the disciplines um, individually and we're going to get some good insight coming out and hopefully your listeners will gain some really valuable information and knowledge that they can implement in their own relationships Mm. so the first one kelly is the discipline of unconditional love and compassion is it not that it is and i think we should start by just maybe clarifying what we mean when we talk about unconditional love and compassion. I think those are two words maybe to just define off the bat here. And I've just gone into the Wikipedia to pull out the definition. And so unconditional love is what we talk about is known as affection for someone else without any limitations on love and no conditions. So what does that really mean? Well, it means if you're waiting for someone else to change before you love them, then you've got a condition. So if you ever are in a relationship and you think, well, if this person would do X, then I can really love them. Or if they'd stop doing Y, then I could really love them. Then you're putting conditions on that love. And we'll go into sort of what that looks like a little bit more, but that's kind of the the basic definition. And then Compassion from Wikipedia says it's a sympathetic pity or concern for the suffering or misfortune of another. And compassion is what motivates people to go out of their way to help the physical, mental, or emotional well-being of another person. So this first discipline is about combining um, our unconditional love for somebody 
as well as our compassion in order to really look out for their well-being and simply put it's about putting them first before ourselves very interesting isn't there a train of thoughts though kelly that says we can't give what we don't have so we have to be and i use this a bit tongue-in-cheek whole first before we can give anything of our ourselves away I agree with you completely there. We need to first work on our self-love and to love ourselves unconditionally before we can love someone else. And many times that's the part that people struggle with the most is treating themselves kindly and having self-compassion. And until you've managed to do that with yourself, it is very difficult to do that with someone else. But for the sake of this discipline, I think We need to go with the understanding that a lot of the listeners um, will have done that work and will understand what we mean when we talk about self-love. Absolutely. I was just uh, when you when you introduced Tony Robbins um, as as the foundation or part of the, you know, these 10, um, 10 disciplines of love, Kelly, um, it just took my mind back to, and I think it was Robin, something where he introduced the four levels of love, not the mm. disciplines, but the four levels. Um, the first one was baby love, wasn't it not? Mm. I know it differently, but maybe you can add the fourth one. So I know the three levels he talks about. So right. there's level one, which is called selfish love, which is all about my needs come first. Mm. Then we've got level two, which is conditional love, which is you get yours and I get mine. And then level three is where you reach unconditional love, where both partners put each other first. And I think if we look at those levels in a bit more depth, level one is quite clear. You know, this is where we get a lot of manipulative behavior going on. Um, Somebody has very clear needs and they're willing to do pretty much anything to make sure that their needs are getting met and they're not taking too much concern for uh, how that impacts other people or if they're hurting somebody else. Then conditional love, the level two, is probably where the vast majority of people live in relationship, which is very much this trading type of relationship where I'll give you what you need if you give me what I need. And you know, sometimes it comes to the point where it's when I get what I need, then I'll give you what you need. And there you get people who live in relationships, which are not very passionate. There's not a lot of trust there. Um, You know, there's a lot of waiting and withholding love, withholding um, any kind of connection and intimacy, because there's this underlying fear that if I give too much, I might be hurt. Mm. And this happens in many relationships and you can stay in these relationships for years or even decades, but it lacks that sense of fulfillment. And to really get a sense of fulfillment in a relationship, it's about reaching that third level where you each are caring about how the other person's feeling. You actually um, go into what we call so heartfelt love, which is you really feel what your partner's feeling. And when they have pain, you share their pain. And when they have excitement or they reach a goal or success you feel for them in that same level that they're feeling and that's the sort of highest level that i've i'm aware of in terms of what tony refers to but um maybe you know that there is a fourth level that i've missed yes it's the uh, the spiritual love and mm. that's um 
I think it's been well versed that figures like Gandhi, Mother Teresa are great images of that, that particular type of love. And it goes at great lengths, Kelly, to say it's not a martyrdom kind of love, but it's so deep within me and I give it and, and I think it massively embraces the word compassion. And, mm. you know, I think it's fair to say that most of us, you know, we might flirt with that level, you know, that total, total, I just give to you because that's who I am. I, you know, I don't have to think about it. Um, I'm not saying me personally, because I think isn't the reality, Kelly, that um, all of us, a bit like, you know, changing gears in a car at some time or another, we maybe flirt with all four gears, but probably spend more time in one gear than another. You're definitely right. And I think the fourth level, I don't know what your thought is on this, but I think that is something that you can experience from time to time. But I don't think that there's very many people who can consistently love at that level. Um, and that's the question, you know, are you living a level two relationship? Are you living a level three relationship? Do you have periods where you can go to that fourth level? Uh, and I think that's for each person to, to question for themselves where exactly they are and also where their partner's at. Because in order to live a level four relationship, you both need to be in that space at the same time. Michelangelo had a, an interesting quote, which I think was a general quote, but has been certainly on some of the stuff I've seen attributed to this context, Kelly, of these four levels, and particularly the spiritual level. And he's, um, he's noted as saying, the greater danger for most of us lies in not setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. Mm, that's a powerful one. Mm. Definitely. But it's a question of awareness, really, isn't it? I think, you know, this, this for me, this is the beauty of a conversation like, like this. And hopefully, listeners, you agree that, you know, to know that there are different levels. And sometimes when times are tough and the car's driving up a really, really steep hill, maybe we need to knock the gear down a bit. And then when, you know, things are better, we can, you know, it is this whole essence of using that metaphor, isn't it? We're on a journey all the time and there will be twists and turns in the road and we'll go uphill, we'll go downhill and we'll need different gears. And for me, Kelly, that re that's reflected beautifully in the, the four levels. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that works for me massively, but, you know, may or may not for others. You're right. And to aspire to reach that, fourth level, I mean, depends where you're at. If you're at level one, then, you know, getting to level two together is an important goal. And then going beyond there to three and four, and it's about where you set your heights. And I would like to encourage the listeners, you know, to really assess where their relationship is currently, or if they're not in a relationship, what level of relationship they aspire to have and to become conscious and aware of where they're naturally functioning in the relationship and then take action to move it to a higher level and mm. uh you know some tips for doing that um i have um a model that uh, i learned from uh doctor i think he's a doctor terence real at least he's a psychologist and uh he has this model he calls the help desk model and i really love 
this model where he he says that one of the biggest problems in relationships is that we're not listening to the other person you know we go immediately into defense when when our partner's emotional and we make it about us and a lot of time it actually has absolutely nothing to do with us it's their own um you know needs that aren't being met and it, it might not be because we're not meeting them it could be for something else and his help desk model is based on the understanding that when your partner comes to you with a problem your um purpose or your your um requirement in that situation is to really listen to them and to hear their needs and to have understanding for what's going on in them and what tends to happen as human beings is as soon as we hear a problem we make it about us we personalize and, and then we go into a defense mode you know and we start um, justifying you know why things have happened we hear criticism and in mm -hmm. his help desk model he says we need to learn to listen as if we were a customer service representative and so when our partner comes to us with a complaint our job is to listen to that complaint to clarify, to understand, and then to give to them what they need and to give generously and to give unconditionally. And I really love this model. I think this is a fantastic way of, of approaching, whether it's conflict or you know strong emotional feelings in your partner and learning to listen to them at a much deeper level. That kind of embraces uh, one of Covey's habits, Stephen Covey's habits, doesn't it? Um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where, where he quotes, um, seek first to understand mm -hmm. and then be understood. And just listening to you there, Kelly, that kind of, because I'm a great advocate of, of, of the late, great uh, Dr. Stephen Covey. And uh, I think the simplicity and the power of his stuff uh, it, you know, it's no coincidence that it stood the test of time. So as you were saying that, was, what was coming through to me loud and clear was, uh, yeah, that um, seek first to understand and then mm -hmm. be understood. But we don't do it as human beings generally. It's the other way around. It's like, while I'm speaking, world, are you listening? And rather than that empathy and switching that around and, you know, the art of listening. The art of listening, and that's where the compassion comes in. You know, it's it's my role in this relationship to go out of my way to ensure your well-being, to make sure that your needs are getting met. And I, I love um, a quote from um, Thomas S. Monson. He said, never let a problem to be solved become more important than a person to be loved. Mm. Wow. Brings in the emotion, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's that's what a lot of us do is also when someone comes to us with a problem, we tend to go into this one upping. So you have a problem, but I have a bigger problem. So I'm going to share my problem with you. And it absolutely overrides this need to be listened to and heard, which is really what we're all looking for, right? We want to be heard and understood. And when you come with a problem and your partner gives you, you know, their problems back, you absolutely don't feel heard and understood. If you, if you went to the help desk at, uh, at Apple with your iPad that wasn't working and you were telling them it doesn't work and when I started the screen's black and they started telling you their problems, you know, you would not feel heard and understood at all. Mm. And 
that's what it sort of feels like in a relationship when you tell your partner something doesn't feel good for you and they come back with criticism for you. And so it's Me all about becoming conscious of these things. Absolutely, yeah. Many times before, Kelly, previously, um, the you know the, the John Gray, men are from Mars, women from Venus. I mean, mm -hmm. th there's a take on that, isn't there? And, and I use this example of, you know, I was told many, 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 many times that Venetians, brackets feminine energy, brackets women, just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, want to be heard. So I'm driving down the road or the motorway and then your car's broke down. You've got a flat tire. So I've got about 10 minutes to, to get to my appointment, wherever I'm going. And I see this damsel in distress. So I'm going to pull over on the hard shoulder and I'm going to fix your tire to get you on your way and, and this, that and the other. How does that work then? And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm kind of humorizing this a little bit, but there is an underlying point here, isn't there? It's like, okay, so... Venusians, brackets ladies, want to be heard, and that's a massive generalization. <laughs> um, but Martians, brackets men, just want to fix the problem. And sometimes there's not time to, to be heard. It's just fix the problem and move on. And I think, you know, I mean, okay, I'm making light of that in that particular context, Kelly, but, you know, there again, listening to what you was introducing there and, and speaking about, about that needing to be heard. Um, and, and is it, you know, am I, and am I making it too kind of singular to say that's, well, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Is that, is that a monopoly of the Venetians or the more feminine energy? I kind of think I know what the answer is, but I'm interested in your expert view on that. I do believe, I mean, of course, generalizations are, are based on something. And I do believe that the feminine energy does want to be heard. And many times just the pure act of being heard can solve the problem. Mm. I mean, it's, it's no secret that, you know, when women have problems and get together, they can sit around, or we can sit around, include myself in that, for hours talking about something and actually not really come up with any kind of concrete solution for the problem. But after having discussed it, we feel so much better and the solution becomes much less important, mm. which is quite different, you know, from a man's perspective, which is to really have a practical solution. And one of my favorite concepts that I teach a lot of my couples and singles is, you know, you want to set your partner up um, for success. And, you know, we can take a simple example like this about giving flowers. You know, a lot of women say it's not correct if I have to tell my partner that I want him to give me flowers he should just know and he should just do it and if they don't get flowers they're upset well part of setting him up for success is telling him that you want him to give you flowers and in this context about being heard to set your partner up for success might be by starting the discussion by saying I just want to be heard I don't need you to solve this problem for me you don't need to fix anything mm. but I just want you to listen to me as I vent and share my emotions with you. Yeah. And I think that's so important in, in relationship that we actually ask for what it is that we really need. Perhaps we could introduce a code, Kelly. Perhaps we could be the pioneer of this between couples that in future, whenever there's a, a dialogue uh, and it's of a kind of semi-serious nature, 
it, it's a fix or here. So, you know, we're speaking to, I'm mean, just going to get a bit mechanical and cumbersome, and I suppose at times downright unromantic. But um, so we're having a conversation and it's like, okay, this is, this is fix or here. This is a fixed conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've only got five minutes on the motorway, fix my tire. I haven't got time to talk. Okay. The other one is, right, this is a here conversation. Just a thought, Kelly, just a humorous thought. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And um, one of the things uh, actually that um, my ex-husband and I developed, which um, was really kind of helpful during our relationship, is we also had a blame conversation um, where when we didn't want to go into blaming each other, we would blame a random third party. Mm. And um, we this wasn't actually a physical third party, but we um, just came up with a name for this party. And when we'd get into discussions where we felt like we were blaming each other, um, we would always say, no, actually, you know, and we used the name Victor. It was Victor's fault. Well, Victor never existed and wasn't part of anything that happened. But it was a humorous way for us saying, we're getting into this blaming game, but let's now just blame Victor. Yeah. So uh, I think it is helpful to sort of signpost different discussion formats and let the other person know, you know, from what angle you're coming at. And um, there's also um, a famous model called the the four years model. Are you aware of that one? I'm not, no. Yeah, which is basically you can hear things at four different levels, you know. Right, and it's sorry, about, yes. yeah, yeah, it's about yeah. just sort of saying, you know, at what level are we discussing today? You know, is it a practical level, a fixing level, or is it a hearing level? Or is it an emotional level? And yeah. it could be, you know, helpful for a lot of couples who get stuck into conflict situations to sort of, in the beginning, mechanically develop those signposts and use them. We touched upon this a little, Kelly, didn't we, in a, in a previous podcast conversation we had around what we called the love box. You know, listening to your, your Victor analogy there. And... As you were speaking, I thought, yeah, there's a similar parallel here because maybe the love box, simple shoe box or, or jar or whatever, could actually be called Victor because it's that non-fit, well, non-emotional entity. I was going to say non-physical because obviously a shoe box or a jar is physical. It's a physical um, mass. But this emotionless third party where you know just as we spoke around the love box where we go to put things in for a relationship it could be the same so it's like okay we're having a really testing time now maybe maybe because we've built up this emotional richness of reservoir in our love box uh, our victor um or could it be victoria just a thought Um, but now because we're having a bit of challenge maybe we just need to take I don't know one of those pieces of confetti out or whatever the symbolism is that we you know the love note or or whatever it is that we've you know we've we've kind of amassed to build up that emotional richness Mm -hmm. yeah I like that concept and I think there's nothing wrong with using these types of analogies it's it really helps get you on the same page in a discussion. And I think that's so important for couples who are dealing with any kind of conflict or yeah, just emotionally charged discussion is to just clarify where are we at with each other and where are we trying to go with this discussion? And, you know, just as um, equally valid, 
Kelly, my humble opinion is that, you know, the need to have fun, because boy, as a generalisation yet again in life, don't we take ourselves seriously mm -hmm. and take that into the relationship. And it, it's about rediscovering that inner child and flirting and playing, you know, and, 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 and putting the wellies on and just going outside and jumping up and down in the puggling and sitting down in the puggle if you want to get soaking wet. Who cares? But we've lost that art of being a child and enjoying that mm. fun and that whole kind of, I'm going to say innocence. We kind of, from an early age, generally yet again across the world, it's like, you know, particularly nowadays, kids have to grow up so quickly, don't they? Because of all the, you know, the perils on the street, for want of a better term. And, you know, the way the media, it's social media. I mean, everything flies at, you know, 500 million miles an hour. And it's like, you know, I've, I've heard this say, said regularly, Kelly, that kids aren't kids anymore, even mm. from a very, very early age. And so, you know, for me, it's about, okay, let's have some fun. Let's flirt with crazy ideas. Let's, let's be really creative. I love that. I think absolutely everyone can use more creativity and pure fun and spontaneity and a good laugh. I mean, nothing can break the tension, um, you know, in the air, like a good laugh or saying, you know, something silly. And I think it's one of the, the next disciplines is about courage and vulnerability. And mm. I think bringing in humor in a very tense situation does take courage and vulnerability but can completely shift the energy of that discussion and how you you find solutions or how you just experience that. I mean, then there's joy and fun in it instead of just seriousness and, you know, outcome driven. Like, and, uh, I can yeah, John Gottman talks about that when he talks about there's two types of problems we have in relationships and says 39% of our problems are solvable but 61% of problems are perpetual, which means we discuss them over and over again. And I think everyone knows what their perpetual problems are in their relationship. And one of the ways that he suggests to solve them is by coming up with fun and quirky, creative ways uh, to instead of going into that problem every time it reoccurs, but to make it fun and to have a laugh. So mm. I think it's very valid. One of the things that... Uh... And it, it often didn't work, but I still smile. It's like, you know, being in a really heated argument with, say, uh, former partners, I'd somehow find the wherewithal to say something really crazy like, hmm, okay, I suppose a kiss is out of the question then, is it? <laughs> yep. You know, just something totally, it's like, yeah. And, and and there's no kiss, not today, tomorrow, next week. And by the way, you're on the sofa. And then, you know, I'd ask it 10 minutes later, are you sure about that kiss? And, you you know, it has had a melting effect. But uh, just the thought, I mean, it's the creativity, isn't it, in whatever form that comes. Uh, it reminds me of my mother. She always said that to me when I was a little girl and I'd be pouting. She would always uh, come up to me and just say, would you stop laughing? And inevitably within, you know, one or two <laughs> seconds, I'd break out giggling because I just thought it was so absurd and funny and it got me every time. So yeah, maybe that's a good reminder. Maybe I'll have to pull that one out again. <laughs> yeah. And um, so under the discipline of unconditional love and compassion, Kelly, discipline number one, is there anything? I mean, we've had a, a sort of rich dance here, haven't we? We've been all over the place and... Um, 
you know, offered one or two quotes and one or two insights. Is there anything that you'd like to add by way of bringing things to an end? Yeah, I think if you're having trouble in a relationship, um, I would really encourage you to look at, you know, where you are putting your partner and what level you're at in your relationship. Because what I've seen and what I've experienced my own personal relationships, as well as those of many of my clients, is that when you're putting yourself first and you're looking at your own fears and pain, that can lead to a lot of conflict within a relationship. And when you shift that focus to making sure your partner is feeling love and feeling taken care of and you look out for their well-being, it can solve a lot of issues. So whenever you have trouble in a relationship, go back to this first discipline and ask yourself if you are living within unconditional love and compassion. And don't be frightened to ask for a kiss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, then, Kelly. Well, thank you very much indeed. It's it's absolutely a pleasure as always. Um, how can, you know, I know you've been on before. I never take it for granted that uh, the listeners all, um, you know, know what your contact details are or previous guest contact details. So how can people reach out to you? Well, they can visit my website. It's um, kellybrandley.com. And that's spelt K-E-L-L-Y-B-R-A-N-D-L-I. And what I will do is I will actually put up all the 10 disciplines for any of the listeners who want to get into them quicker than we're going to go through them on the various podcast episodes. So if they want to go to kellybrandley.com forward slash mastering the game of life, um, they can go and they can download a free copy of all 10 disciplines. Beautiful. Thank you, Kelly. So there we have it, listeners, the amazing Kelly Brandley. And, you know, from a personal point of view, as I say, it's always a pleasure to talk because I get so much personally out of those conversations and insights. Uh, and I sincerely hope um, you have to. And, and, you know, at the risk of labouring the thought, I leave this 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 point with you. Uh, if, if you have a partner or a partner, you know, hopefully sometime in the future, never be frightened to ask for a kiss. And on that amorous note, all that remains for me to, uh, to say now is remember, no matter what you do in life, always walk your path with heart. And also remember that mastering the game of life starts by embracing your heart. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 